First Peter 5, 8-11. through 11. It says, Be alert and sober of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the grace, I'm sorry, and the God of all grace, who calls you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. And to him be the power forever and ever. Amen. Lord, as we come to the conclusion of this book, we ask that you would bring home the things you've been sharing with us, Lord. That our hearts would be open, that our eyes would be open, that our ears would be open to hear what your Spirit is saying to the church. And that we would be steadfast, immovable in our faith, because our hope is fully in you, Lord Jesus. And so we ask now, Lord, that you would encourage us, Lord, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Peter uh, just got done in uh, chapter 5, exhorting the elders to shepherd the flock of God that is among you. And then after exhorting the elders to shepherd the flock, he then turns to the sheep and he says, hey, now submit to your elders and submit to one another. Love one another. And then he turns everyone's attention towards their real enemy the enemy of the church, the devil, who Peter says is the one who is stalking the church in order that he might devour the sheep of God. That is the devil's aim. And so Peter says to us in verse 8 with a warning, he says, Be alert and sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, roars around, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. This is the second time in Peter's letter, this, this epistle, that he is warning the church to be alert and sober. How many of you parents have have kids out there? And you're like, just, you got to keep your head on a swivel when driving, you know, and all this type of stuff, Uh, you know, and it's just, how many times can you warn your kids? I mean, you just, you get, you just know that, you do everything within your power to to keep your to keep yourself alert about what's going on and don't be that person who creams into someone else because you're texting or whatever it might be but this is the second time that Peter's warned and and if you turn back just one chapter in chapter 4 verse 7 he says the end of all things is near therefore be alert in the sober mind that you may pray that's the first time and now again as we read in chapter 5 what we just read Peter says to be alert and sober. And we know from our message a couple weeks ago that this isn't something that Peter is just kind of telling people to do. This is something the Lord Jesus told Peter to do on the night that Jesus was betrayed. He, Peter, James, and John were all gathered together in Gethsemane, and Jesus took those three disciples who would be the future leaders of the church. He pulled them aside a little further from the other disciples. In just a few hours, Jesus is going to be betrayed, and he tells these guys, pray it up. Lest you enter into temptation, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And so that's in Mark 14, 38. And then he goes on, well, actually earlier that night, if you read Luke's account, this is speaking of Peter, earlier that night in Luke 22, 31 through 32, it tells us that Jesus had spoken to Simon Peter. And so earlier that night, I think it was at the, the Last Supper, Uh, He says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat, but I have prayed for you, Simon, 
that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. Very interesting there. And Peter responds when Jesus says these things. He says, Lord, I'm ready to go with you to prison and to death. But we know what happened. That night when Jesus asked Peter to pray three times, lest he enter into temptation, what happened? Peter did what? He took a nap three times. And we know from the Gospels this is because of great sorrow. So there was some emotional situation going on in his heart that kept him from being awake and being alert. And the third and final time that Jesus woke Peter up that night, just before he was about to be betrayed, he, Peter wasn't alert. He wasn't praying. He wasn't in sober mind. In other words, he wasn't spiritually alert. He wasn't spiritually prioritizing his life. And the devil was able to prey upon Peter that night. And so after Peter fell prey to the devil and temptation, denying Christ three times after he said he was ready to go to prison, he didn't. He denied him three times. And he scattered. After Jesus had to go get Peter on the shore of Galilee and restore him, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. Right? My lambs. Years later, Peter's writing to the church. And Peter tells us why in verse 8. He says, be sober, be vigilant. Why? Because your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Peter knew what it was to be devoured when he should have been sober and awake. And I, I don't know about you, but that I, at one time, I just, I love Peter because we can just relate to him. It's like, that's me. I'm totally power napping through a prayer session or whatever it might be instead of being awake. Anybody else like that can relate to Peter? The rest of you are awesome. You know, just don't, just don't listen. But Peter says, be spiritually alert, be spiritually prioritized because you have an enemy, the devil. And like a lion, he is looking to devour the sheep who are unaware of their surroundings, who are unaware of what's going on. The sheep who isn't paying attention, who doesn't realize that they are in lion country. How many of you read over the past few weeks about that uh, the runner in Colorado who killed a mountain lion with his bare hands. You guys read about that? He was out running and he got attacked. And he was out in the trails and, and it turns out he was running and he heard a scuffling behind him and he had just enough time to turn around and kind of go, Rah, you know, make a big thing, attack them anyways. And it just, it lunged on him and they, they tumbled down a, a little embankment and they started wrestling and and it turned out he had to he had to suffocate it to death while after he was getting scratched up, he had stitches all over his face and all this kind of stuff. It was a fight to the death. And he had puncture wounds to his neck and face and legs, and not to mention cuts from the claws and all those things. And the man said a few things interesting as I was reading the interview. He said he was glad that it was only eighty pounds. Turns out it was only thirty five to forty pounds as you can as they weighed it. Isn't that wild? Second, he said that if he had been wearing, uh, you know, earbuds, if he had been listening to it, who knows what would have happened. And lastly, he described that as he was bleeding and leaving the scene and trying to get back to people, you know, some kind of civilization, eventually people saw him and they took him. But as he was going, it was then that he became aware of his surroundings and he saw the tracks everywhere and the signs that led 
that he was actually indeed in lion country. Now, you see, it was only after that he was attacked that he realized the danger that he was in. He said it was in the back of his mind that there, was, there were predators out there. He said, you know, you always kind of know that they're, they're out there. Uh, he said that, it, but like so many of us, he really wasn't concerned at the moment. What are the odds? It wasn't until after he got mauled, it was then that he realized the signs. And that is what Peter is saying to us as one who had survived a deadly encounter with Satan who wasn't 35 pounds. He was the full-grown real deal. You have an enemy that is stalking you. Be sober and be vigilant. Shepherds, shepherd the sheep. Sheep, listen to your shepherds. Love one another. Stay in the faith. Care about one another. Be aware, stand firm, stand strong. And I think one of the dangers we face is is that at times we don't truly believe that we really have a spiritual enemy out there. Of course, we say we do, but we think the odds of, of us being attacked are very low. You know, he isn't around stalking me. He's going to stalk someone else. Now, I, I've been out in the sticks with some of y'all. And it's interesting how at ease you are up in your hills and all the bears and wolf packs and cougars out there. And I mean, you know, I'm not from here. And the last thing I want to be is the Californian guy who got eaten by a wolf pack. And everybody's reading about the UB and going, yeah, figures, you know. And so I'm, I'm hyper vigilant. I'm sober and I'm aware. You guys are going, that guy's paranoid. I'm like, yeah. Like we had kitties, not, not mountain cats, right? And so I think bear spray and firepower and being faster than the person that I'm with when I'm going out in the Blue Mountains, right? I'm a sheep. I mean it, right? That's me. I'm a sheep. Anybody else feel like I'm a sheep? When I used to surf in San Diego, it was difficult to enjoy it sometimes because you know that Jaws was down there. And the thing was, he was. And he is. I mean, just hit close to home. Christine's, uh, the veterinarian, they, they used to take their... Um, you know, the animals too when they were growing up got killed by a great white in Solana Beach swimming. You know, someone you know. They're really there. And they're there a lot. And so, not to freak you out, but Peter would not be a good shepherd if he didn't warn the sheep that there was a lion that was after them. And the odds of you being attacked are not once in a lifetime or hardly ever. They're 100%. You're absolutely going to get attacked. And he is a lion that comes after us. And that's how Peter identifies our enemy. And that word enemy means adversary. It's like in a court situation, someone who's on the opposite side of you, attacking you, accusing you. And that's kind of the idea of the enemy. He's constantly adversarial, looking for a weakness, looking to make his case, looking to slander And that's what the word devil means. It means slanderer. And so you put all these together, and the adversary of your soul is a very powerful fallen angel. And we went over that this past summer. I'd encourage you, as we went through the church, we discussed the devil as part of that, our our enemy. And so you can go back to uh, look at that on on, on the website. But the adversary of your soul is a very powerful fallen angel. He's not a little chubby cherub. He was a guardian angel standing before the throne of God. 
who has ranks of angels underneath him, a very is the he's one of the highest powerful angels there are, fallen. And he operates like a lion. Lions use stealth when they want to attack. They look for opportunities, for weaknesses to attack. And they want to do that to you. They're looking, he's looking for weaknesses. He's probing for weaknesses and he wants to destroy you. That is his aim for every single one of you who calls yourself a Christian. Because he cannot remove salvation from you, he will seek to accomplish the next best thing, to render you totally, absolutely useless for the kingdom as you succumb to his temptations and his attacks and become discouraged in your faith and dissuaded and you put your eyes off of the only one who defends you, which is Christ. And he is the master at rendering death blows to Christians. He comes in in stealth and finds that chink in the armor. He finds a way into your heart and puts a seed of bitterness in there that grows towards resentment and hardness of heart towards the Lord. That's his work. And that's the devil's scheme because you have been bought with the blood of Jesus Christ and purchased. You're now to reflect his kingdom, his his heart to the world, his forgiveness, his love, his bearing under suffering. Our enemy, the devil, is seeking to find a way so that he can slander you. So that he can slander Christ. To put a crack in your armor. So that somehow you will buckle. So that you will fall when you are persecuted or spoken ill of or tempted and pulled aside. That you lose your witness of what Christ has done in your life and bring reproach upon the name of Jesus Christ because our most powerful witness is our changed life. Satan seeks to destroy you. The Bible has two main lions, two lions, the devil who destroys and the lion of the tribe of Judah who brings life. Which lion are you hanging around with? Which lion are you allowing to influence and penetrate your soul and your life and the armor of your heart? Jesus said in John 10.10, and I would encourage you to memorize this verse. It's a great verse speaking of the truth we've been taught here. It says, the thief, that is the devil, he comes only to steal and to kill and destroy. But here's our lion. He says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. One lion wants to tear your heart out. And one wants to make it new, give you a new one. So the devil comes to tempt you. And when sin takes hold in your heart, it leads to death, James teaches us. But Jesus comes with the truth so that you can withstand. You can take a stand against the devil's schemes. That is how we fight and overcome the enemy is in Christ. In his word, on the rock of who he is, his kingdom, we make our stand. And as we put our life upon what he says, the truth fights the lie and we stand 
And we have life. James also goes on to say in chapter 1, eternal life it wells up into. And so Satan seeks to destroy. And so what are us as sheep supposed to do? What does verse 9 say? He says what? Resist him. Standing firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of suffering. But like the man who turned and faced that lion, you have to make a stand. He's coming at you. You have to make a stand. And this is really important. This is how the mentality that we're to have in dealing with our spiritual enemy. We resist. We are the resistance. You must stand or you will be destroyed. You'll be rendered useless. And I think it's, it's, it's enough that we've, we've, had, we've spent enough time being attacked and mauled and all that time, all that stuff. We're, we're the bride of Christ. We are the ones who've been called and chosen by the Lord. And he would seek to strengthen your heart and the heart of hearts with his word and establish you so that you can stand. Not to take away all of the things that we stand against. That is this age. That is this life. Difficulties are coming like a tidal wave. Jesus said, you will suffer. These are promises as well. We have a real enemy. There's real warfare going on. And he's called us to stand like that man. And that word resist, says resist him, means to set oneself against, to withstand, to oppose, to set ourselves against Satan and his attacks. And so, first of all, we have to have that mindset if we're going to be victorious. You are at war you're at war you have an enemy and he wants to destroy you to render you useless and the only way that you are going to stop that thing from happening is by resisting by being spiritually aware spiritually prioritized to be alert and to be sober in the spirit so that you can resist when he attacks terry could you unplug my phone from up there please Please don't make the make mistake. Don't mistake what I am saying to you is that you have to psych yourself up. That's not going to work. Psyching yourself up is not going to work. It's not going to work. We don't psych ourselves up to win. We focus on Jesus Christ. We be spiritually sober, spiritually aware. We focus on the one who has all the power and all the strength to withhold us in the storms. But we must have that mindset when, if we are to resist the attacks. Well, how does this happen? Well, Peter says we resist being strong in the faith, being strong in, in Christ, right? And the translators of the NIV translated it standing strong in the faith. But being strong in the faith. The emphasis is our strength comes from the faith. And that is the meaning that God has given to us to stand, the means that God has given us to stand against our spiritual enemy. We are strong in the faith. That is that we stand upon the word of God concerning him. We, we, we base our lives upon what he says. Jesus said, if you put your life upon what I say, when the storms come, you'll stand. But if you don't, what will happen? You'll be destroyed. And there's a lot of ways you can look at that from the enemy and from a judgment standpoint. But we are to stand upon the word of God. Ephesians 6, 10 through 18 deals with spiritual warfare. And Paul uses similar language um, 
that as Peter here to tell us how we're to engage our enemy. In verse 10, and this is, by the way, this is the warfare chapter, basically the warfare section here in Ephesians chapter 6, 10 through 18. If you want to know how to fight, this is, this, this is fight club right here, okay? So verse 10 says, finally, be strong in the what? In the Lord. That's where our strength is. In the faith, in the Lord. And in whose mighty power? In his mighty power. How's your mighty power working? Not so good. His mighty power, amen, being in Christ. In his, now verse 11, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. We're to put on the armor that God has given us. The faith. Verse 12, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against what? Rulers, against authorities, against powers of this dark world, and against spiritual forces of every, of every evil in heavenly realms. And so we are so often focused on things like Democrats, Republicans, good, bad. And it's like, listen, there are spiritual principalities behind a bunch of stuff. We are fighting a spiritual battle. When you're attacked necessarily but maybe by a brother or sister, you ever thought to mean that they, like Peter, could be influenced by the enemy and being plugged in their, uh, being plagued in their heart and just attacked? And they turn around, and they start snapping at you, and the first thing you do is you want to straighten them out and tell them what for and how to act and all that type of stuff instead of going, okay, well, I'll talk to you in a little bit, and you go and you pray for them. And all of a sudden, that lifts. You see, he wants to get us in the realm where we're constantly just looking at face value on everything instead of seeing what was really going on. Pray. Fight. Be strong in the Lord and His power. It's like trying to attack the wind with an AK-47. It's really It works well on flesh. It does not work well on spirit. God has given you spiritual weapons, spiritual armor, spiritual defense in Christ to be victorious. Amen? They're yours and his as sons and daughters. And so a struggle is against flesh and blood, but against the rulers. And he goes on this list of all the demonic hordes and how they are arranged and all that stuff. But all that reason is verse 13. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything, to what? To stand. Is, is Paul repeating something there? What does he want us to do? Stand. It's coming. He's going to attack. Stand. Put your foot on the gospel. Live righteously. Gird up your life according to the truth. Don't let there be there any loose ends for the enemy to take and pull your dress over your head. Men wore dresses when they went to battle. They tied them up. They gird their loins. Their head was had the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness. So they had all these defensive things that would protect their mind, their heart, you know, focused on all attached to the ideas they're attached to spiritual principles in Christ. And then he gave us a shield of faith and the sword of the spirit. And then air power, prayer, right? So we've got the word of God, we've got prayer, and we stand against the enemy. And so our strength comes from the faith. We don't have faith in the faith. We have faith in the one our faith is, the object of our faith, the Lord Jesus Christ. His words are spirit, and they are mighty. 
And so we put on the full armor of God. We arm ourselves with what he says is true. We conform our lives to what he says. We trust in what God says. And just like when the enemy tempted Christ in the wilderness, we respond with, it is written. It is written. And what happened to the devil after a time of temptation? He did what? He departed. But did he depart always? No, it says that when he was looking for what? An opportune time. He would come back and give an opportune time. He was looking for an opportune time. So Peter says, resist him, standing firm in the faith. Verse 9, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kinds of sufferings. The devil's attacks are not just local. They are global. This is a global war between the kingdom of Satan and the kingdom of God. And the whole world is under the sway of the devil. It is. It's systems, the way it works, all that kind of stuff. And Jesus is going to come and establish his kingdom, but he's starting right now in your hearts, in my hearts. And so Peter reminds them, that they aren't the only ones being attacked. And I think that's important for us. We're not the only ones suffering. Everyone who is a believer is under attack by the evil one in one way or the other. In some ways, the enemy attacks through stealth. In other, way, in other places, I think you can see just the outright persecution of the enemy. For some, it's, it's temptation. And for others, it's discouragement. Some, it's lies. Some, it's oppression. You know, this is why the reader, writer of Hebrews in chapter 13, verse 3 says, continue to remember those who are in prison as if you were together with them in prison and those who are mistreated as if you yourselves were suffering. It's not just you, it's them too. We're connected. We're the body of Christ. We are suffering globally. Don't forget to pray for your brothers and sisters that are facing attacks of the enemy. And this is where we go beyond our walls and start praying for other nations and the persecuted church and our dear brothers and sisters who are being absolutely overrun in certain situations. And I know we do pray for those, many of you do, pray for those in foreign countries where the gospel is illegal and the persecution is is thick and, and real and you can hear about these stories and how horrific it is. Like in in you know, in North Korea and parts of China and parts of the Muslim world. But I have also heard stories of those brothers and sisters being so greatly concerned for us because we are so spiritually dull. The enemy doesn't have to use camo over there, but he's using it with us. And he's going to come out of the shadows. He is. But here it seems that we are much more spiritually indifferent, I would seem, because of all the stuff we allow to choke out the fruit, you know? I think we're more struggling with the parable of the vines where the the love of the world chokes out the fruitfulness and the enemy just puts stuff in front of us constantly. And we just get choked out. Whereas there, they just get persecuted. They don't have things to choke them out. Everything's pretty clear. I'm not trying to simplify it, but there's a refining aspect to it. And so they pray for us. They pray for the church in America. That we would have open eyes and open hearts to the gospel and not just be churched. It's pretty powerful stuff. It's humbling. I'm thankful for them. We need it. Amen.
I need it. So Satan is attacking the church, but he doesn't win. I think that's important. Amen? It's like, we're hearing about our big bad enemy, and he is big and he is bad, but there's another lion. Amen? Amen? Praise the Lord. Verse 10. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ. Notice where the grace is. After you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. A dear sister to Christine and I, uh, Kelly Kier, said back 20 years ago, um, said, I was on staff with her at Calvary Chapel there in Escondido, California. And she said she was praying for my suffering and believed that the Lord wanted me to, to encourage me with these verses. And the part that, that I'm like, yeah, that's great, but what does this a little while mean? Isn't that what we wonder? What is this little while? Because God's little while, as we'll learn in Second Peter someday, perhaps, his time frame isn't our time frame. Our little while seems like a long while, but to him, not so much. But he says, after you've suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong. I love this. He is the God of all grace. He has already promised grace to those who are in Christ for all eternity. He's given us grace in Christ Jesus. But there's also grace for today. Grace for today, and I love that. As Paul was told when he asked the Lord three times to remove the thorn in his flesh, some kind of ailment, some kind of affliction that he was suffering, the Apostle Paul said, Lord, take this from me three times. And the Lord responded in Second Corinthians, or it's recorded in Second Corinthians 2.19. Paul, uh, the Lord speaks to Paul and says, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. This is what the Lord is is doing in our suffering. He's completing. He's it's made perfect. It's not that Lord the Lord's power is is any way insufficient. I think the vessels are. And the Lord is 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 through trials and tribulations through weakness we become less self-sufficient and more God-sufficient. And his power is able to come through us more and more as we learn to depend upon the power of the Holy Spirit working in our lives and his word over our circumstances and over our emotions like Peter. His truth. And so God's grace is for us today, not only for all eternity, but today to strengthen you in your trial. And so often we 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 pray, Lord, uh, Lord, you know, take away this trial, when it's actually the means of your sanctification. It's the means that God is using to make his power more clear through your life. To make you more like Christ in your suffering. Sorry, guys, it's going crazy. So I just, I think there's danger and constantly praying, take it away. And I, and I know there's, Lord, lead us not in temptation, deliver us from the evil one. And I think we need to pray that wholeheartedly. But when the answer is no, when it still comes and it still happens and we've repented and we call out and yet the trials still come, I think we still pray, God, get me out of here. But I think 
that can't be the only thing. There has to go a deeper level. Is there, is there a purpose to this, Lord? And my word teaches me that there's a purpose in suffering. It's going to develop something in us that wouldn't be there if we didn't have it. So when I see you suffering, I pray for you. I pray that the Lord would deliver you. I do it for my own kids, but I think even more as you kind of grow older, you go, Lord, make them more like you through this. I pray you take away unnecessary suffering, Lord, self-inflicted wounds, all those things. But Lord, if this is something that is going to strengthen them in the long run, if it's going to make them more like Christ, Lord, then do your work. And it's interesting how he, how the devil is the Lord's devil. I know that sounds wrong. But ultimately, who's in control? Who's sovereign? Who's going to set things right and make him straight? Who's going to judge? Who's going to cast him into an eternity of fire? Who's going to restore the righteous? Who's going to give them what they don't deserve and all these types of things? Who's going to judge the wicked, the Lord God, on that day? So, even the things that the enemy would use to attack Somehow the Lord in his good, sovereign hand works out for his will in our lives, for those who love him and are called according to his purposes. I don't understand why, because I would just like him to take away the suffering option. But if he didn't do it with his son, who died at 30-something, childless, Marriageless, homeless. What about us? And there's a lot that's said in the New Testament about our faith being much more valuable than gold. Something that's refined through fire. And we already read about that in the beginning of Peter. But Peter sits here and says, my grace is sufficient for you, basically. It's the God of all grace. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. And that's what his hope is in, the power. Just as Jesus suffered, so we suffer. Just as Jesus was rejected, so we are rejected. Just as Jesus was glorified, so we will be glorified. We are in Christ. And that's what he's saying. To him be the power Forever and ever and amen. In other words, he has the power to accomplish it and he will do it. And then Peter finishes this letter with these remaining verses. He says, with the help of Silas, Sylvania, some of you say, who I regard as a faithful brother, I have written to you briefly, not so briefly, encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. And again, Silas was transcribing for Peter, and would later deliver this letter. And so Peter mentions him as a faithful brother that you know, hey, this is Silas, we're all good. He's the one who was writing for me. This is uh, Peter saying that. And Peter, as an apostle, then lets them know that he is writing what is the true grace, the true gospel, the sufferings and the glory of Christ, the death and the resurrection of Christ. That's the theme throughout the whole thing. Suffer now, glory later. You suffer now, continue on, do good works, glory is coming. Continue in the faith. 
It's just a simple message there, but obviously goes into what's going on in their lives. And so Peter commands them to stand fast in it. And in verse 13, it says, She who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends you her greetings, and so does my son Mark. Greet one another with a kiss of love. And so Peter is writing from Rome, and so he uses a code word for Rome, Babylon, because if this was intercepted, you know that there's persecution going on. He didn't want them to know anybody how everything was working, and so he used the code word Babylon for Rome, which speaks of that false religious system at the time. You can connect that with Revelation. But the church there sends their greeting to the churches being written to, and Paul mentions this guy named Mark. He says, this is John Mark, by the way, the young boy who fled naked after Jesus' arrest. You guys remember that guy? Maybe not. It says, and there was a young man who ran away. He was like half naked running away. Well, he was Barnabas's nephew, and he went on Paul's first missionary journey. And and remember, he got up, he got he was just young, he was green, and he couldn't handle it. And he left early, and Paul got upset, and the division became so intense between Paul and Barnabas that they split ways. Barnabas hung out with his nephew, and Paul took on um, the other guy, Silas. Yeah, thank you. And so Paul and Barnabas split ways. It's interesting, at the at the end of Paul's life, Paul in 2 Timothy, I think, asks for Mark personally. As he's in a dungeon, he looks back and says, and he's writing, he says, everybody's left me, everybody's betrayed me, everybody's gone. So, hey, send Mark to me. He's become useful in my ministry. It's interesting how the Lord works things out over time. How he restores, how John Mark grew up. He weathered persecution. He became strong in his faith. He was established. He was strengthened. I love that. And by the way, he's the one who went on to write the Gospel of Mark, which is Peter's account of what we know. It's Peter's account of Christ's writings. So Peter says, then to greet one another with a kiss of love. When I first came a Christian, I'm like, what, what, what's going on there? This means to be tender towards one another. Be hospitable towards one another. Be affectionate towards one another. Show kindness towards one another. In that culture, you greet one another with a kiss on the cheek, you know? That's what he's saying. Hey, greet, greet each other like brothers and sisters. Just care, care for one another deeply. And Peter ends by saying, peace to all of you who are in Christ Jesus. And that is where our source of peace comes from. That is where the ultimate source of peace comes from. You want to have peace in your soul, peace in your life. It is found in Jesus Christ, who suffered on our behalf for our sins, dying on the cross, who rose again three days later, that not only we would be justified, but glorified. In other words, not only that he would pay, he would die in our place to forgive us of our sin and make us right with God, but then he doesn't just forgive us, he gives us his life, his eternal life. And because he rose from the dead, guess who else is rising from the dead? You who believe by grace. You are saved. And that is the only way that we would be forgiven. 
that we would have eternal life is because Jesus is alive and he's seated at the right hand of the Father right now. And when the when this is all done, when, when he is set in his heart, when the Father has set the time that he's going to come get his church, he will. And he will establish his kingdom on the earth. And until then, we're like that widow who cries out day and night for justice and asking for his return, asking for him to come make things straight, continuing to put our eyes upon him, continuing to trust that he will set things straight, keeping ourselves unstained from the world, Jude says, yet being in the world and pulling those out who are in the flames, where the church, where the holy bride of Christ set apart yet placed in the lion's den. But we have peace because of Christ Jesus. And when you surrender your life to God through Jesus Christ, you have peace with God through Jesus, even in the midst of being in the, the arena with the lions. Read about that sometime. Read about our brothers and sisters who were torn apart and what their last words were and what they were saying and what they were singing. Read about Peter, who right before he was crucified upside down because he said he was unworthy, watched his wife be crucified in front of him, said, it's okay, it's okay. That's what it comes down to. This is this, is this guy writing to us. He knows you're suffering. He knows you've got an enemy. He knows he's, you're getting attacked. But he also knows that Jesus sits enthroned above it all. Hold on, church. Look to your deliverer. Put your eyes upon Christ this week. In whatever circumstance or whatever weight you find yourself in, run to him. Cast your cares on him. He cares for you. He loves you. He's gentle. He's humble of heart. He's tender. He is the Aslan that we, that we desire. Run to him. He's your shepherd. May the Lord bless you this week. May you find strength in your souls. Amen? Lord God, we want to thank you so much for your gospel, for your goodness towards us. And I pray for the heart that has been heavy laden, Lord, who's been hurt. The enemy has come in and attacked and got behind the armor. And I'm asking now, Lord, that you would, in your grace, restore that heart, restore that joy, restore the love, put their eyes back on you. Lord, let forgiveness flow. And may God arise and his enemies be scattered. It's in the name of Jesus Christ that we pray and we gather and we say amen. Amen.